0: what's up everybody how's it going how you doing out there in the magical world of the interwebs it's me it's me the big old stevie c here with another edition of the Heal and face podcast brought to you by heel turn wrestling um so we got a uh, show that's pretty much wwe heavy this week although there is some great news coming out of other places in the wrestling world. And you know what, the more I think about it, the more that I'm probably just going to um, uh, come back to doing some of my uh, shorter podcasts that I call uh, the uh, three count on local streaming services, platform streaming services, just because there was a lot of news this week, but it was only like one or two, quick news articles but I kind of came with the three most important ones this week and um,
1: so let's just kind
0: of get started with it and by the way of course if you are so inclined you already know you can like share comment and subscribe below And I will try to keep up with the comments as best I can throughout the show. You can join me at Heel and Face Podcast. Uh, You can also join us on the Heel Turn Wrestling uh, Facebook page, which is dope as well. we got a lot of cool things happening with this page in particular, partnering with a lot of great, talented wrestling fans who are doing shows just like this one all over the world, all over the interwebs. So just this morning, I was listening to a little bit of the 2020 wrestling trivia show. That was pretty dope. So we've got that. We've got the war room. We've got Piers Austin, who if I'm not mistaken, he's already interviewed Ken Shamrock and he's got another huge interview coming up on his show. So it is definitely worth checking out. Plus of course, um, The Sleeper Hold, and Billy Alexander with his uh, amazing, talented shows of shows, and of course, the Headlocks and Hangovers podcast comes on after this one, so you got a bunch of stuff that you can tune into and be entertained and informed in the world of professional wrestling. Well, let's get right to the entertaining part of the world of professional wrestling, and um, this one, however is a little upsetting because you know this has been happening a lot more frequently these days and um this is uh another shout out to a wrestling legend and we reported a while ago that he had been struggling with cancer but it was official this week territory wrestling legend Tracy Smothers passed away you can see he was at the age of 58. Uh, the wild-eyed southern boy was a very popular staple in the old territory days, Florida, Georgia, all over the South. Um, he never made it to like mega status, but he was very well respected in uh, in, in those territories, and he kind of got caught. In the dying days of uh, those territories. So um, he started out in the really late 70s, early 80s, tagged with a bunch of people, tagged with Brad Armstrong. He, um, again, different championships going around the, uh, the South. He, was he not? Re- he never really got, I guess, a fair shake. Uh, the, the positives he had was he's really handsome. Obviously, he was really athletic. He could work. He could go. Um, unfortunately, he just couldn't like completely put it all together um, and uh, you know make it all work for him. So he. He also kind of, as you may know, if you're a WWE fan, was in a very difficult uh, time where even Vince was uh, basically grabbing at straws, trying to keep the company together. Uh, And so he was basically just hiring sight unseen random workers that could go that were free agents. And of course, he, along with the Dirty White Boy, Tony Anthony and uh, Wild Bill, uh, Irwin, And others were kind of snatched up from the territories that were pretty much dying on their last legs anyway and came in. And, of course, Tracy Smothers was sidled with that terrible um, rib of being Freddie Joe Floyd and didn't amount to much there. But he was able to somewhat resuscitate his career doing kind of almost what got him to the dance, which was kind of going back to the territories. And he really never left after that run with WWE, his most famous and highly entertaining run or runs with the, uh, with any company that uh, was significant was ECW. Um, Tracy Smothers being in the fully blooded Italians was just too hilarious to pass up. Um, He had a lot of success getting over with the crowd. And that's kind of where also what I want to end my thoughts on Tracy Smothers about is that he was always a professional and he was always well loved and well-respected by everybody, by the fans, by, uh, by the, the boys in the back, so to speak, because you would have thought, wait a minute and over the Hill almost never was talent from the territories is coming to ECW which is the new brand, which is the new alternative to wrestling. And we're hitting each other with barbed wire and chairs. How is this guy going to get over? And here we are. So good for Tracy Smothers. He was able to constantly reinvent himself. And of course he wrestled a bear. So there's only two legit wrestlers or MMA artists that I know of that have ever wrestled a bear. Khabib Nurmagomedov, which we, who we talked about last week. And Tracy Smothers so take that uh, how you will um, he would be sorely missed especially on the independent territory scene I know um, I wasn't able to get a hold of him but I know that the founder of the healing face podcast uh, James hand the mayor square circle had somewhat of a relationship knew kind of knew him from uh, his time coming into uh, Ohio quite frequently right before uh, he really started getting sick and passed. so um big props to Tracy Smothers, one of the final territory guys, real territory guys, holdovers from an era that has gone by and may never, ever come back. So that's news article number one. And, you know, again, I didn't want to really get that out of the way just to get it out of the way. Um, But, uh, I did it, um, just to, uh, you know, just, just if you, you to start off with like a praise and a tribute, and then you can go into the other, uh, things that you want to do. So, uh, let's talk about, um, another kind of exciting thing that happened on the independent scene. Which is, we can get to it. No, where is it? Aha. Okay. So, of uh, someone that I've been a fan of for a long time, I saw her in OVW kind of when she started, was Serena Deeb. And Serena Deeb was let go of her contract earlier last year by WWE. It was kind of part of the earlier the part of this year, I should say, because it was kind of part of the COVID red wedding, so to speak. But she's found success on the independent scene. And as a matter of fact, this week she became the new NWA Women's World Champion. So good for her. Uh, really um, happy to see her rebound just because kind of knew what she went through. And I was really hopeful that she'd be able to have a great career as a trainer and a random. And when the wwe nxt women's division needed her uh, unfortunately you know and there was, a, there was no real reason other than it was a cost-cutting measure probably by the wwe because of covid because i don't know if you let someone like serena Deeb go consciously but here we are and now she is your new nwa women's champion.
1: so congrats to her
0: and um i think she deserves it you know after grinding so hard and after um being uh being a real good wrestler for a long time i think she des- definitely deserves it which brings us to an actual um bigger issue i was a little shocked that this became a bigger issue um Because, uh, you know, we're in that era now where everything is so um, overhyped and everything is so um, uh, overanalyzed and over talked about, and everybody's like next move is all very scrutinized. And I blame. The very medium that I'm using, social media, and I blame the very thing that I'm doing, which is talking about wrestling on the internet, to create this. But So, as you know, Serena Deeb won the uh, Women's uh, World Championship in the NWA from Thunder Rosa. She was the champion at the time. And now there are rampant rumors as to the future of Thunder Rosa. She has been making a ton of positive waves throughout pro wrestling this past year, so much so that she's been in demand in two uh, promotions. She's been working a lot of out of AEW, and AEW even recognized she was the NWA Women's Champion. So, of course, the rumors are going to spread, and there's wild, crazy rumors out there. Um, That include Thunder Rosa signing with WWE. So NWA President William Corgan came out on a ask me anything type of Instagram post. And he assured fans that Thunder Rosa is in fact under contract with the NWA at least until 2020, which does us all good. That is a positive thing. And we should all relax. Seems like President William Corgan knows what he's doing. Plus, there would be no reason not to keep Thunder Rosa under contract for a while. I don't know if their contracts include the same things that wrestlers from AEW's contracts include, which is the freedom and the ability to go wherever you want and do whatever you want as long as you show up during our tapings and for the pay-per-views. They really don't care. So uh, I wonder if William Corrigan has the same type of contracts for his wrestlers. I would see him being completely open to that, too. And that's just an impression that I'm getting. I I have no idea. The only thing I know of William Corrigan, other than being the president of the NWA, is that he's also the founder of one of the greatest rock bands of the 90s, Smashing Pumpkins. So um, I don't know his heart. I've heard interviews on life and working and being good at your job and all that stuff from him. So it seems to me that through his conversations, I can personally glean that he might actually be open to letting his artists, his wrestlers be themselves. And if they show up for tapings on Fridays and Saturdays or whenever they're taping NWA now, and then they're able to do whatever else they can do or want to do, and be able to show up work functionally. I think he's going to seems like he's the type of guy that would allow them to do that. So look forward to Thunder Rosa, not only having a long career as a member of the NWA, but also look for her to pop in wherever she wants, probably not the WWE, but who knows wherever she wants. So, um, We have our assurances on that and that is basically the news section of today's podcast. Again, I told you that it's going to be WWE heavy. I just didn't have the opportunity to follow up with AEW. If you saw me last week, you know, I didn't blast AEW like a lot of people did. Um, Especially the Dinner Debonair wasn't as bad as people portrayed it to be. It wasn't as bad as people thought it was. Um, It just wasn't great. So, um, by the way, shout out to the people that are watching right now. If you have a comment, if you have something that you would uh, like to get across, then definitely uh, like and uh, and have a comment below. Um, what do you think about any of the news that went on this week? And what do you think about uh, The Hell in the Cell or uh, NXT Halloween Havoc? Either one of those two uh, shows uh, were pretty pretty entertaining for different reasons. So let's work backwards in the week because that's kind of how I roll. That's how I kind of plan my life is I just take a look at things and then I look backwards and let's just jump into and uh, I'm sorry, uh, NXT Halloween havoc. Um, can I just say that this is probably again, uh, even more entertaining than hell in the cell in certain ways. And uh, I will keep it at that right now. Cause I don't want to give away uh, what my thoughts are necessarily for, uh, hell in cell yet. I'll save that to the end, but, um, they decided and made a conscious effort that they were going to have fun with this show. And it worked. Um, I thought overall, uh, Halloween Havoc kind of had the spirit of Halloween havocs, in the past and, um, I dug it completely. Um, the match of the night for me, well, actually let's just, let's just get into, um, how it starts. And, uh, it was, it had its share of goofy. It had its share of silly, but of course, you know, this is NXT. So, um, well, anyway, enough of my rambling let's get into the first match which um, I was um, a little disappointed at the results of this match of course uh, Johnny Gargano becomes the first two-time and Triple Crown NXT winner by defeating Damian Priest in Devil's Playground match which is basically a false count anywhere match but I love Shotzi Blackheart and I'm not afraid to admit it. Um, almost in a stalkerish type of way. But I'll talk to her on Instagram or Twitter or anything like that. So I'm not really a stalker. Um, but uh, her just hamming it up was perfect for her character. She had about five costume changes throughout the night. It was pretty hilarious. The Devil's Play Crown match basically was a false count anywhere match, uh, which was. It was entertaining enough. I mean, like I said, it was a disqual. It was a it was a no disqualifications, Falls Count Anywhere match. Um, the best part or the best spot for me was Damian Priest. When you knew he was going through the graveyard, he went through the graveyard, got all uh, ashy and sooty and and terrible. Um, athletically, the match was pretty much what you expected. It was okay. I didn't really see any or remember any huge like spots that that drove me crazy. I mean. Um you had Gargano and Priest on top. Um random guy in Scream Mask coming out and interfering. I'm I'll wait and see who that is. If you have an idea who it is, please please comment below if you have an idea who that might be. Um the uh the uh Archer of infamy could not survive being yanked off of the uh, top and into the uh, graveyard and Gargano won. So there we go. Uh, Next was uh, honestly something that I was not looking forward to seeing. I was kind of hoping that Pat McAfee would just be like a one-off and we'd never see him again. Unfortunately, I guess Pat doesn't have enough to do with his life being on 30 sports shows and having his own uh, podcast, and and generally being a meathead, but uh, I guess he's for real inserting himself into a angle with WWE. So he came out. He was the one who had helped uh, Oni Lorcan defeat Brazongo for the NXT Tag Belts. You know how much I love Oni, Lorcan and Danny Burch. Um, I just didn't want to see them win it this way, man. I always thought they could have been a face tag team that won it. But, you know, again, I don't write this stuff. So uh, they won it as heels with the help of Pat McAfee, who brings them back out to the ring to brag and glory in it. They're... Uh, their wins and of course he cuts a promo against adam cole he cuts a promo against the wwe universe saying that you know they thought he would just go away and he'd never be here again blah blah, blah. coming out with low orny uh oni lorkin and danny birch who are you know hamming it up two guys who you pat mcafee normally would never hang out with in his life and he's hanging out with them as their like quasi para manager or whatever well, the only one who was left there at the Performance Center to stand up to Pat McAfee was Kyle O'Reilly, who valiantly came out. However, he didn't come alone. The bruiserweight, Pete Dunne, who I thought was uh, heavily involved in NXT UK, the relaunch there. Uh, but whatever, he's back in NXT, and he's seemingly coming out to, Kevin, uh, to Kyle O'Reilly's aid, but Of course, you got to watch your back in the world of professional wrestling. And if there's a wrestler that's coming out to help you or aid you who has a chair, who's about a foot and a half behind you, you know you're getting waffled in the back. Well, that's exactly what Kyle O'Reilly did. And now Pete Dunne is back to being a heel. And he is back to... uh, with another faction. So looks like this faction is going to be uh, Pat McAfee, Dunn, Lorkin, and
1: Birch, which
0: is probably a nice counterpunch to the Undisputed Era because we've chronicled already the rumors that the WWE is basically going to be they're going to keep the UE together, but they're going to splinter them off between heel and face. That's why uh, O'Reilly ate the steel chair because he's going to be the he and uh, Adam Cole are going to be the baby faces in the Undisputed Era. So, moving on, we had some vignettes from Cameron Grimes's Haunted House of Horrors match with. Samuel Shaw, I'm sorry, not Samuel Shaw, oh, Dexter Loomis, Muffle. fault. It was a cinematic match, which was okay. It was all right. I didn't buy it as weird just because, you know, Cameron Grimes isn't weird. Dexter Loomis is weird, but anyway, um, the first vignette showed Lord Stephen Regal escorting Cameron Grimes to the van that will take him to the haunted house of horrors match to the haunted house of horrors and uh, as the van rolls up out pops Michael P.S. Hayes the free bird himself to tell Grimes that this haunted house is definitely on bad street the last house on the left and uh you could barely hear him say it because the audio was whack but um he told him good luck and uh got uh cameron grimes got in the van and drove off with some zombie ish looking people uh one of the zombies looked like former libertarian uh candidate for president gary johnson i don't know what that if that was actually him or not it could have been you know election day is around the corner and he drove off we come back and we get a non-title cruiserweight match between santos escobar and jake atlas jake atlas uh, again getting some decent offense in but of course they're not going to make the champ lose especially in a non-title match um but it was a pretty good match it went back and forth uh pretty well uh, atlas was able to display his athleticism although again He's not very snug, so a lot of his moves still looked like they were not great, but hopefully someone's getting in his ear about it. Um Triple H is the king of working snug, so maybe Triple H should take some training lessons with uh Jake, or at least, you know, train him up a little bit. Um the rest of Legado del Fantasma got involved uh with Joaquin Wild and Raul Mendoza, and they showed up, they were in uh uh, Dios de los Muertos uh, garb that was pretty cool. And speaking of garb, I don't know why they let him do it, but it was an honor for um, in in honor of past Halloween Havocs. Santos Escobar dressed up in Rey Mysterio esque tights. Um, Jake Atlas was allowed to get some of his uh, good offense, including his over the rainbow DDT. Uh, which I, that's probably my favorite move um, of any wrestler right now. Um, But it just wasn't meant to be. Um, Mendoza put on the loaded uh, Lucha mask and headbutted Jake Atlas, causing him to fall prey to uh, Escobar's um, uh, version of um, uh, Christopher Daniels' Fallen Angel move. So, Santos Espargas, the win. Going back to the haunted house of horrors on the left on Bad Street, USA. I thought it was funny. It was... All right, let's put it this way. I'm going to give you a word of the week for all of you out there. Titillating. That's what it was. I wasn't doubled over with laughter. I knew what was happening. I knew what was going on. I just... Just sat back and, tr- and 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 I was entertained. Um, Dexter Loomis creeping around every corner, pretty hilarious. Um, I don't know. I probably spent more time trying to figure out who from the performance center that was more than anything else. I assumed the athletic, weird one that was like doing the spider crawls and twisting herself in uh, contortions of confusion, I'm assuming that was, uh, Katie Catanzaro, uh, the zombies were kind of funny, uh, Grimes, you know, he's becoming a comedy guy, so he played it off really well, the screams, the, the sheer fear, the, the torture, um, I don't think you're going to be able to sell us on Dexter Loomis being some type of Uh, metaphysical embodiment like the Undertaker or even to some extent the Fiend, but it was still fun. Uh, It did what it did. And the WWE was able to put on a horror type of match for Halloween Havoc. It did end in the ring with uh, Dexter Lumis launching. I will assume again, Katie Catanzaro At Cameron Grimes, Cameron Grimes was able to get uh, his moves on another zombie. He put another zombie through the cave in and uh, he was able to, like, get a few of the zombies off him. But it didn't work to his avail as uh, while he was backing away from the rest of the zombies, Dexter Loomis snuck up from behind and put him in the silence and actually put him out, which was a little scary looking. That was a little scary looking I mean, he sold it well, the way he went out, uh, especially when there's really no ref, because I guess the ref was a zombie. Um, The fact that you just kind of fade out, and I've always liked that. Ever since Dusty Rhodes uh, passed out from the pain of the figure four, I've always dug that ending, so it was fun. Now, let's get to the match of the night for me. This was the big match of the night for me. Um, This is exactly what Vince McMahon wants, right? Uh, He wants a Haas fight, and he got a Haas fight. Rhea Ripley versus Raquel Gonzalez, they tore it up. Um, They just basically beat the crap out of each other for 20 minutes, and I was all for it. Um, You know, again, I leaned into that earlier just now, but Vince and his idea of two big dudes going at it, Haas fighting, he loves it. So you have arguably two of the biggest women other than probably Nia Jax or whatever in the entire WWE just just whooping the snot out of each other. It was so good. Like I I was really going wow, this is the match of the night for me. Um <coughs> excuse me. Uh they they really bought each other. They really um did a nice job of making the offense look good, going back and forth. Um they really made it look like a fight and I was really, really geeked out of this situation. Um, they attempted each other's moves or no, I'm sorry. They attempted their moves on each other. I should say, um, uh, you know, it ended with, uh, uh, Gonzalez getting put in the rip Although, you know, she blocked it a lot again, just like the, the fun of the match, just, punching each other and going after each other uh was really good and uh just the match of the day for me the match of the the uh Halloween Havoc for me um and kind of proved something right wrestling is simple as a lot of old school promoters would tell us wrestling is simple if these things happen and they happen the right way then you will have a good match and um, I may actually go back and watch that one. That's probably going to be one of my um, now that the year is winding down, might be one of my top matches of the year. Might be one of my the best matches of the year. So, congratulations on both Rhea Ripley and uh, Raquel Gonzalez turning a um, turning a positive or a negative into a positive. Turning a goofy kind of somewhat comedy thing into a real badass fight between two badass women. So, congratulations there. Speaking of women, um, the main event was uh, a Tables, Letters, and Scares match uh, by Shaxi Blackheart, who was again vamping on the ramp with the wheel um, championship match. Uh, I mean, let's just cut to the chase. You know, uh, Shirai was going to um, was going to retain. But we saw, again, the mysterious figure in all black coming out, trying to help Candice LeRae. Um, This is probably one of Candice LeRae's better matches.
1: Because of um,
0: I think a lot of the effort that she put forth into it. Plus, for some reason, I don't know, to me, and you can definitely argue with me on um, on the interwebs and comment if you wish, but um, for me, it seems like uh, Candice LeRae, if there's a gimmick in the match or if there's something involved like tables, letters, and scares, that she seems to do a little better, uh, and I'm here for it. Now, does Candice LeRae deserve the belt at some point? Probably she should. Uh, I you know, we all knew she wasn't going to retain this match, but uh they put together a pretty good uh, extreme rules match, tablesidders and scares match. I'm just gonna keep saying it like that, tables ladders and scares match. Just gonna keep saying it like that until um the uh the spot into the two folded tables was 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 pretty good. Um, Io Shirai stretching her out. And um, uh, with her offense, just unbelievable. Again, I did not think that uh, uh, Candace had a shot. There was a little bit of interference with, by Johnny Gargano, too. So uh, that happened. Um, it just, uh, I, I think the problem with this end, or at least the problem with Um, this main event was we had
1: just seen
0: Rhea Ripley and Raquel Gonzalez literally beat the dog's knot out of each other. And here we are with this match. And um, even though it was a Extreme Rules match, it still didn't really live up to that. So I wonder if that was strategically placed I wonder if they specifically put uh, the Rhea Ripley, Raquel Gonzalez match right before this match, kind of like to hype the crowd up or not hype the crowd. There's no crowd, but maybe to like somehow separate the two. I don't know. I was rambling a little bit there, but you get what I mean. Um, so
1: the
0: there was a, at some point, the, like I said, the, Guy in the black mask came back out to interfere with uh, Candace, but uh, Shotzi Blackheart had had enough from looking from her perch near the spin-the-wheel-make-the-deal wheel. wheel. She came back
1: and defended her friend Io Shirai,
0: who basically yeeted Candace LeRae over. And and by the way, Candace LeRae did a nice job of this, because I've seen this happen And go badly for a lot of people. Um, EO yeeted Candice LeRae outside the ring. And uh, through another ladder. That looks pretty painful. Um, So there you go. Overall, again, uh, I was happy to have a Halloween Havoc. And I was really happy to see Shotzi Blackheart be super weird. Um... Most of these matches were eh for me. Uh, They were fun. They were entertaining, but they just kind of furthered uh, the storylines. They tried to have that cinematic, silly uh, haunted house match. And it was okay. It was okay. Uh, Not the best NXT. Maybe Halloween Havoc will be a little better next year. I hope they continue with it. Honestly, honestly, if I had a choice, I would prefer a Halloween Havoc be a major pay-per-view than Hell in a Cell because uh, if Halloween Havoc is going to be um, gimmicky anyway, you know what I mean? Uh, then you might as well just let all the silly gimmicks fly. Um, silly stipulations and whatnot. Uh, entertaining match. Was not expecting Johnny Gargano to win the belt. He did. And everything else pretty much went according to Hoyle. So NXT was okay. And even though they did win in the ratings, that's because AEW was already taped. Even though they did win in the ratings, um, not not an overly awesome Halloween Havoc, but it's kind of like eating comfort food. I was really happy to see uh, Halloween Havoc back. Not necessarily it was it was like an outstanding entertaining one, top to bottom, but the fact that we got it back is is, is good for me so um, so let's so let's go right to it then um, speaking of belts that I didn't expect people to have actually, I know that was a bad segue into talking about the first match of hell in the cell, so let's get to hell in the cell um, the first match. I know that was an awkward segue and I'll do better next week, but the first match between uh, Roman Reigns and Jey Uso, the rematch for the WWE universal belt. um, I liked it. It was brutal. They really beat the, um, the, the dog crap out of each other. So I was kind of happy to see that, um, you know, Every once in a while, just like the uh, Hoss fight I was just talking about, every once in a while, wrestling has to look like a struggle. And I think that they're not really relying on the technical aspects of this storyline so much as they're leaning on the storyline of the storyline. And I think that's kind of how it all unfolded, the legacy of Roman Reigns coming into question, being the travel chief, that spilled over more. The physicality of the match, the two guys could go, so that wasn't an issue for me. It was really, really pretty brutal. It did look like a struggle at some point. Uh, actually, the whole entire match looked like a struggle. And so much so where uh, Reigns pulled out the ring steps and was doing drive-bys and smashing Jay almost unconscious to the point where Jimmy... Uh, came out, and even the um, even the officials came out and tried to stop Roman Reigns, kind of calling the match, saying "That's enough, that's enough." You got to see Scrap Daddy and uh, Pat Buck, and by the way, uh, Aaron Pierce is getting some momentum amongst uh, the internet to, in fact, be officially the general manager of Raw. and I think that would be a great addition. I think that would be pretty amazing. I know that. There's kind of an edict: no more general managers. And I know even Eric Bischoff came out and said there's not going to be any more general managers. Probably he was just parroting um, what Vince is saying. But I'm just saying a lot like most of us in the world of professional wrestling that if you were going to bring back a general manager, I think Scrap Daddy Adam Pierce deserves it, Daddy. And uh, anyway, so let's move on to talk more about the the Roman Reigns match. Um, but the psychology of it was the most important for me and it did come out. Um, you know, I, I did like the crap talking that they were doing back and forth to each other. Even though last week I didn't like it. I know I'm weird and I changed my mind, but as a human being, I'm allowed to do it for some reason. It worked here because uh, this is again, all the setup for this angle is psychological. It's really not physical. Even though Roman Reigns talks about all the time that he was the one that would beat them all up when they were little. But again, that's kind of a side story. So we're here and we are talking about um, the physicality of the match. And then we get to the end where Jimmy comes in and tries to save his brother from more of a beating by Roman Reigns. And, you know, Jimmy's like, that's enough. Don't you understand? We're family. Whatever we beefing about we can work it out we can work it out and all that good stuff so roman reigns starts breaking down he starts crying he starts talking about he doesn't even know who he is anymore he's so confused jay leans over and gives them the bro hand clasp and pat on the back which roman reigns turns into his uh sleeper hold his new uh submission maneuver and uh jay lying there wakes up long enough to say i quit which is it was an i quit match so it was long enough for him to say i quit and roman reigns solidifies himself as being not only the wwe universal champion but the tribal chief by using underhanded tactics and playing on sympathies and emotions to retain his belt but then furthermore with the psychology he insisted his father uh And, uh, his uncle Sika come out, the wild Samoans, the, uh, grandfathers, the progenitors, the kings of the Samoan dynasty, so to speak, had to come out and, uh, actually physically crown Roman reigns as the tribal chief. So he stands with them as being the tribal chief, um, I mean, yeah. Again, the storyline was more important than the actual action in the match. So that's why I guess I really don't, um, it really doesn't like come to mind. So um, I like the physicality with the strap too. That was pretty good. Other than that, mm, uh, the emotions, the story told the story. And I'm pretty satisfied with that. Uh, moving on to the next match which was uh, a match that could have been on raw and i don't know why or you know just <sighs> if a match belongs on raw keep it on raw if a match is raw quality keep it off the pay-per-view if it's raw or smackdown quality keep it on the off the pay-per-view put it back on raw and smackdown where it belongs. so this Next match between Elias and Jeff Hardy ended in disqualification. I'm not going to spend a ton of time going over it. Um, Elias comes out and does the same stupid, boring, overdone uh, roast of Jeff Hardy being drunk and blah, blah, whatever. Jeff Hardy comes out, whoops his butt. Uh, They go around the ring, and Jeff Hardy's had enough. And at some point, he just waffles Elias with the guitar, which causes a disqualification, so Elias wins. Um, Again, just like this meeting could have been an email, this match could have been on Ross. So we'll just move on from that and talk about another kind of disappointing thing that happened, which was uh, The Miz beating Otis for the money in the bank. Uh contract and of course at the end of the match in the back the Miz cuts this huge promo about it's not a lunchbox it's not a prop this means everything so i'll talk about this more detail in a minute but the Miz is definitely compensating he's continuing to compensate for the fact that he is not a traditionally trained professional wrestler and that all he's ever known is wwe but let's dial it back and actually talk about the match which was which was okay. I really enjoyed it because Otis got a lot of offense in. And there are people who think that Vince has given up on Otis just like Vince has given up on half the roster anyway. And that Otis shouldn't have won the Money in the Bank contract in the beginning. And I think... Any guy can show you how well he does. Any guy can show you, or gal, can show you how they can go if you just give them the opportunity. And I think this was a great opportunity to prove to whoever Otis needs to prove to that he, in fact, can go. He could be a legit babyface, which is apparently what's going to happen, and I'll get to that in a minute, and that he can really wrestle, and he's really good. Um, Disappointing in the fact that The Miz won – The Miz doesn't need the money in the bank. What's he going to do, challenge uh, the WWE champion at Survivor Series? Like, like are we going to get a WrestleMania where the Miz cashes in on Roman Reigns and wins the Universal? I mean, what are we going to do with that? There's really not much the Miz can do with that anymore, but they've given it to him. I don't know if maybe he's trying to pull some John Cena backstage politics or if his promos are actually real life. And the fact that he's saying that, hey, I deserve this because I've been with this company forever and blah, blah. And I'm a main eventer and I'm not I'm not a curtain jerker. I'm not a mid card guy. I'm a main eventer. But uh, I don't know about that.
1: Well, we'll, we'll see. So again, like I said, the match itself
0: was was good because it showcased how athletic Otis uh, can be. Um, at the end, there was the Smosh uh, finish, which included um, Morrison getting found out by the ref as he was going to waffle Otis with the Money in the Bank briefcase, and as she spied him out, randomly Tucker smashes Otis with the briefcase and then puts the beat down on him and rolls him back in the ring for Miz to get the win. Um, Yeah, so again, no consistent booking. Didn't give this time to breathe, and you had a great babyface tag team that could fill the void of the Viking Raiders
1: and the weak, anemic,
0: on life support WWE tag division. And you break them up. They're over. You break them up. I don't. I don't. I don't get it. I don't get it. So the tag team situation right now on Raw is the New Day. Miz and Morrison, that's it. That's it. Street Profits are on SmackDown. The Viking Raiders are uh, on hiatus temporarily from for randomness. Um, who else is a tag team? On Raw right now. Nobody. He had heavy machinery. And I get it. If you would have had the New Day... And heavy machinery that would be two completely over babyface tag teams so I get it from that perspective but why did you cut the AOP if you need them so desperately why did you let uh, FTR walk out if you knew that you needed them so desperately so now they've got to figure out what they're gonna do um, my suggestion would be to be to bring Brizongo back to uh, raw and uh, make them turn heel there's no other there's, there's no other uh, explanation to help the Raw uh, tag team division and that clearly Vince doesn't care about. Um, this is just so dumb. Uh, Tucker cuts a promo about he was the one that was encouraging uh, Otis to talk to Mandy. He was the one that was hyping up Otis. He was the engine that was driving the tag team. Otis got all the glory and, and Tucker had to do all the work, blah, blah. Typical crap. Typical crap. Um, again, I don't know if it was pay-per-view worthy, but it was on the pay-per-view. Now, let's get to, just like in Halloween Havoc, the match of the night, Sasha Banks versus Bayley for the SmackDown Women's Championship, a belt that uh, Sasha Banks has never held, um, Wow. This was not only match of the night or match of the pay-per-view. This match is probably one of the top five WWE matches of the year. So well done. It had everything. It had everything married magically together. It had the psychology because you knew the psychology was going to be there with Bailey and Sasha, you know, their feud. The athleticism was there. The... Moves were there. The violence was there. This was something that I was very impressed on. I kept watching this going this is an ECW match and It's not an ECW match just because there's kendo sticks and props and stuff These two ladies are stealing Tommy dreamers moniker of the innovator of violence these two ladies These two women were the innovators of violence last night or that night And I was very happy with this match. Uh, I don't think there was a really wrong... There might have been a half botch in it. I don't think this match was was really, really bad. Um, If I was uh, a certain uh, wrestling pundit who started out super awesome... Thirty years ago, and is now basically a shill for the young bucks. I would probably give this match maybe five, six stars, easily. Um, they the, the, the psychology started out great even from the beginning when uh, Sasha kicked Bailey's one and oh chair out of the ring as the Hell in the Cell was closing. Um, just it even started off hot because they were putting each other in each other's like Sasha Banks was putting the bank statement on Bailey within the first 30 seconds of the match. I mean, and they just didn't stop from there. The action just did not stop from there. They were going at each other back and forth. Um, Sasha Banks had a lot of the offense, uh, obviously because she's the heel or no, I'm sorry. She's the baby face and uh, she's getting her comeuppance. um, The kendo stick thing uh, through the, chain link of the cell and Bailey being frustrated that it wasn't working. That was pretty funny. And I didn't, if I'm not mistaken, didn't she say, help me. Didn't she turn her around and say, why don't you help me or something like that? That was pretty funny. Um, the spots like that, that spot alone where Bailey pulled her up with a slingshot into the, the kendo sticks. I mean, I was just, Every other move to me, I was like, "Ooh, it was almost cringeworthy." Um, even, uh, even Sasha powerbombing Bailey into the uh, into the fence—brutal, absolutely brutal. Um, the the spot near the end of the match where uh, uh, Bailey had Sasha Banks on the ladders, but she ran out of the way. Um, Uh, and then, uh, to come back to that and, uh, bounce Sasha's face off of it and how she bent backwards to, to sell the move and woo, just, um, I thought, uh, I thought she had killed Bailey with that sunset foot powerbomb, honestly, but then Bailey did the same thing to Sasha You know, the corner with the chair on it. I thought she was dead, actually. Uh, Just some, I mean, what can you say? I'm just getting really excited just talking about it just because how dope, um, dope it all was. Um, She uh, tried uh, to put Sasha Banks in the belly to belly. Actually, she succeeded in doing it. But uh, Sasha Banks powered through and used Bailey's chair. Again, psychology somebody's paying attention somewhere. Someone's knowing how to write these wrestling matches and came through uh, by putting Bailey's head through the chair and then kind of pulling back. It was weird, but I could see how they could sell it as knocking Bailey out um, or having Bailey tap out because not only did Banks pull her head through the middle of the chair to put the bank statement on her, but she was smacking the chair as if to like smack Bailey in the face or in the throat while it was happening and Bailey had no choice but to tap out and new WWE Smackdown Women's Champion Sasha Banks. Sasha gains a belt that she has not gained so far in the WWE. So, uh congratulations to her. Uh the best match of the night, arguably the best match of the year. Um, we're going to start compiling that soon. Cause like I said, the end of the year is coming quicker than you think. Um, so I guess I'll go ahead and talk about this real quick, which I really don't you know, want to just because it doesn't honestly, it doesn't interest me. Um, again, what did I just say? When you have a match that is raw or SmackDown quality, Keep it off the pay-per-view. So the Hurt Business made a challenge to Retribution, basically saying you pick any guy to go against Bobby Lashley, and you would have thought it would have been T-Pain or um, LOL, not Deal Madden. But in fact, it was Slapjack, uh, who made a pretty decent showing of himself. So, um We all know Shane Thorne is Slapjack, and we all know Shane Thorne can go, but Slapjack did a really nice job of uh, giving the champ fits. Very athletic, moves a lot of drop kicks, a lot of uh, cannonball rolls, flipping sentons and things like that to keep the champ off kilter. But it didn't last long. Uh, Bobby Lashley got behind Slapjack, put him in the hurt lock, and it was over. So there we go um end of that match uh the only significant thing other than that is that retribution did try to get retribution on bobby lashley by attacking him and that didn't work because they both jobbed out uh then the hurt business came to the ring and cornered um uh, mustafa ali who i think is just going by ali now because everybody's got their last name now no one goes by their first name anymore uh we'll talk about riddle probably in the three count this week and uh yeah so bobby lashley wins now moving on to the last match and the probably the most disappointing was the hell in the cell match. And the reason why I said that is because yes, I I try to keep in mind that there's only limited things that they could do. Honestly, the whole concept of the hell in the cell, as soon as Mick Foley launched himself off the top, there's really nothing else you can do. that's going to shock people. So they tried hard. It was a, um, no DQ, you know, falls kind of, not falls kind of anywhere, but it was a no disqualification match. Randy Orton had the bowl cutters. Um, disappointing, disappointing because of the ending, disappointing because of the end results. Uh, the match itself, uh, you know, kind of went through its paces. It was, it looked pretty brutal. Um, they went after each other. They did, of course, the normal spots you would do. Drew pushes Randy's face up against the uh, chain link fence uh, Randy sends Drew through the steel stairs. They went through all those motions, and they did all that. Uh, The ending and the victory, I have a huge problem with. Um, So, fast forward through the match. You've got both wrestlers on top of the cell, and they're battling and brawling and brawling and brawling. Now, I will say this. It probably lends itself to Randy's psychology, because Randy had... Drew chase him on the other side of the cell. But as soon as Randy got over to the other side of the cell and they're hanging from the side and drew McIntyre's there too. Randy is able to get the best of drew in that situation and send drew flying through the announce table. That looked pretty brutal. You knew a big off the cell spot was coming. Cause again, it's WWE. They've been doing this for 20 years. So, um, but, and maybe you can agree or disagree with me in the comment section, but honestly. So, Drew McIntyre is dead.
1: And there's quote unquote blood coming from
0: his mouth. And he crawls back into the ring. And as he's crawling back into the ring, Orton is working him over RKO, kick out. Then Drew McIntyre, who seemingly was dead, is now alive again. And he gets after Orton, and he puts him uh, through paces. And he's almost going to put him in the Claymore. I think he might have actually done the Claymore, or at least gotten the better of Randy Orton to be able to pin him. And then all of a sudden, from out of nowhere, RKO on to Drew. One, two, three, and a new WWE
1: champion for the 14th time
0: the viper randall keith orton um i could have done without that i could have done without that i could have done without randy orton winning his 14th and i think it's tying or break it's i think it's tying the record he's up there he's tying the record um I get why they did it now during Hell in a Cell, which is a match. It's kind of like, you know, it's a pay-per-view. It's kind of a blow-off, kind of an unimportant one because Survivor Series is the next one. Then Survivor Series, wait, wait a month. Then it's Royal Rumble. Then through Royal Rumble, uh, back we're back in WrestleMania season again. So I know that uh, losing the belt in this match makes some sense so i'm not going to criticize it that much but randy orton for crying out loud i guess i guess this is a cheap way to get him to 14 i'm not happy that drew mcintyre lost i'm just going to go out and say it. i'm not happy that he lost he could have taken this belt at least until the next pay-per-view um maybe drew will chase i don't know you might see drew get it back and then lose it again for randy orton to get another cheap one um but well, what are you going to do? Because you have Miz with the Money in the Bank now. You've got all of these other possible scenarios. What are you going to do? Are, to, are we are we going to see? Are we going to see Randy Orton versus Drew McIntyre main eventing WrestleMania that quite possibly might be in the Amway Center or in the uh, Capital Wrestling Center and not at the Tampa Bay Raymond James Stadium like they had told us it was going to be. Could you imagine the atrocity of then the Miz running down the aisle and cashing in the money in the bank and winning the WWE championship from Randy Orton? It's bad enough and don't make it worse. So I would like to think that Orton is going to lose the belt at some significant pay-per-view, probably not survivor series, but at least at the Royal rumble. So who knows? Randy Orton's got the belt. Um, the women's Hell in the Cell match was by far the best match of the night. I did not get a chance to watch the pre-show. I guess it was Big E or and somebody. I don't even know. Um, so I'm not going to speculate. Uh, overall quality of the matches, uh, good, not great. Um, I liked the Usos match could care less about Bobby Lashley, could care less about Elias and, and Jeff Hardy. In that context, you put Elias and Jeff Hardy back on Raw, I'm fine with it. But the women's match really made it. So not the best Hell in a Cell, but certainly not the worst, probably mid-middle, high-middle. I would say if we're giving grades, maybe B-minus, a B-minus show um, that was uh, really, uh, really, I think, really well executed from more of the storyline aspects of each Than the actual wrestling, so good for them. It all worked out. Now we're going to Survivor Series. Uh, personally, one of my favorites like the the last three pay per views, or the last two, and then the first one, then WrestleMania, I should say, are probably my favorites. I messed the timeline up. I know, I get it. January is the beginning of the year. Okay, so let's let's let me put it this way. The last three pay-per-views of the – how do I even frame it? Oh, boy. The last two of the rest of of the season, if you want to call it WWE season, Royal Rumble and Survivor Series have personally been two of my favorites. I think the Royal Rumble was probably my favorite outside of WrestleMania. And then you have WrestleMania. So those three are probably the best three pay-per-views. That I always look forward to every year, anyway. And now we're in that season, so that's something to look forward to. Um, Hell in the Cell did what it did. It's not going to stand out as one of the best pay per views of the year, but uh, but you know it just just did what it did. So um, that's how it was. And if you have any of your own uh, opinions on what happened during Hell in the Cell, or if you think I'm off on my analysis of any of the matches, including the last match, then you can definitely comment below or you can hit up the Heel and Face podcast Facebook page on Facebook and you can argue with me there. I'm always willing to engage people as best as I can. So um, wherever I share it out to or wherever you find it, if you got an opinion, definitely let me know on the Heel and Face podcast Facebook page. And you uh, can go there, too. And I just want to do, again, a quick plug and a quick reminder, not just to go to my Facebook page, but go to Heel Turn Wrestling's Facebook page as well. And you can get all the shows, you get all the notifications and all the dank memes from the dank meme department that your heart desires. Well, that's it for the show this week. Thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Um, Always good to talk wrestling. I know it was WWE heavy. I will promise to try to diversify it for next week. Hang on, hold on for the rest of the week. I hope you had a great Halloween. I hope you didn't freeze out there. And I hope you were able to raid your son, daughter, little brother, little sister, cousins, candy bag, and play the Ghetto Boys. And I would sing it, but I don't want to get sued from t- by some random person for uh, singing 30 seconds of a, a copywritten song. So I'm just going to end it as I always do by saying thanks for watching the Heel and Face podcast brought to you on Heel Turn Wrestling. This is your boy, Steve Castellano, Big Steve C. I will see you next week. And as always, peace.